Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome coming up on today's show. I got a big question for you all regarding the rematch between Adesanya and Piera, as well as an upcoming fight between Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler. Plus, I'm going to discuss whether we should be doing a rematch between Volkanovski and Makhlchev. But before we get to all of that, guys, the rankings committee has spoken. All right, there is so much going on in the wake of Islam versus Volkanovski. I mean, so many moving parts. I love it. I love it all. This is a great time to be an MMA fan again, but let's just try to unpack this, okay? The build-up to the fight, the fact that it was made organically, the fact that it gets stuck in Perth, which is not known for fights, the fact that it's going to be a pay-per-view with no supporting cast, all the way to Josh Emmett and Yaya Rodriguez. But then you start hearing other numbers. You find out that if you like to watch it, don't plan on watching it live in Perth, there's no tickets left. And then you get other numbers, such as Dana White coming out and saying it is trending to be a top five fight of all time, but it could come in to be number one. Just the data that we're looking at. It's going to be in the top five, but it has the potential to go all the way to number one. All of us have to sit back and go, what? You're talking about the car that's going to be in Perth that we don't know anybody that's participating except for the main event? Yeah, that one. The one that DraftKings says is a three-to-one spread. There's nothing to see here. Favoring the out-of-towner coming into the guy's very backyard in Islam Makhlchev. You're talking about the same fight is going to do such big things. The one that is so uncompetitive that we not only know it's going to be take him down, keep him there, repeat, which is one of the dullest things you could possibly watch. We not, we not only are aware of that, but we're also aware that the great takedown artist isn't going to have his mentor, coach, and teammate in his corner. But that didn't level it at all, did it? In fact, the line moved. I, I've stayed consistent in telling you guys it was 3-1. to one. It was a little better than that. It was, it was just a slightly better than that when it finally went off. That's how sure we were that Volk could not defend himself. He went out there and he did defend himself. The judges did what judges do. How you don't rip a guy off when you're in this sport, the dirtiest sport in the world where we've been ripping guys off from the beginning of time, but this is the one time we're not going to do it. All right. All right, fine. But like anything, there's a checks and balances, right? And I've talked to you guys about this before. When, when the referee pulls a guy off the opponent, calls it a TKO. When the referee does a TKO, that is the referee telling your three licensed cornermen that all have a towel and have the ability to stop the fight. If the referee steps in and calls a TKO, he is telling those three, you guys have failed. I no longer need you guys. I no longer am entrusting you guys. In fact, I'm taking the number one power away from you, and I'm going to stop this fight. That's what that is. If a doctor comes into the ring and a doctor sees a cut or sees something where he gives the advice 
to the referee to stop the fight. That is the doctor superseding what the referee had seen in the first place. If you have a decision that is corrupt, you have a corrupted decision, you will then have a great body that can do great things because they have the power of hindsight. We know everything to be true if we know we have the power of hindsight. They do have it. So they will be all corrective. They will be all correcting and they will have the ability to be spot on because of the hindsight, but that's called a rankings committee. So if we go out and we hold a fight and we got it wrong, there's still one more adult in the room that can tell us what actually happened. That's the rankings committee. Now there is no entity within our sport that has less courage and has demonstrated a smaller amount of integrity than our rankings committee until now. Until now. Islam and Volk fought. Islam got his hand won. Got his hand raised. The rankings committee came out with the rankings 48 hours later, just on schedule, and they kept Volkanovsky number one. I don't know where they put Islam, by the way. I even asked that question. I said, so does, does Islam come to number two? And the exact answer I was given, no, everything stayed the same pretty much, except John Jones moves up spot. Now, I don't know how close that is, but I really don't need to, and neither do the guys. Islam himself, whether they got him at three or four or five, really doesn't care where he's at. It's who's number one. In this case, they kept Volkanovski. Now, what do you want to do about it? The final say, the final adults in the room have corrected what we saw. Do we rematch them? Is there any reason to rematch them? Is there any reason not? Is there a way to not rematch that fight? You always have an asterisk when the right guy isn't there. I remember Daniel Cormier, and it wasn't fair. Daniel Cormier could beat up any, any man in, in the world that weighed 205 pounds, except one, and that was John Jones, but John was not licensed. So Daniel did just that. He went up and beat up every 205-pounder out there that wasn't named John Jones. Got that championship of the world, but people would talk about, don't forget the caveat, he's the best, while John's not here. It was one of those things. And I think it's very tough moving forward for Islam. The decision wasn't as controversial as it should have been. The Australians in Perth had a job to do when that announcement came in. They had rappers and nachos, and they had a job to do to help to tell the story. And they failed to do it. But now you've got the rankings committee. So now you're going to have Makhlchev in a weight class that has an asterisk. You get to be the best 55-pounder as long as Volk stays down at 45. Or you can rematch him. They built the fight the first time. They gave it to you the first time. You, the people, did no hard work to get it done. The promoter and the organization, they did no hard work to get it done. The two fighters built it once. Maybe they can live with this now. Hey, you beat me, but hey, remember all the fans thought you should have won. And they part ways and they're happy. They go through life as friends. Maybe. But it sure appears to me as an outsider, for a fight 
that had a decision, and that decision just got overran by an entity who had the power of hindsight and who are currently maintaining they were right from the beginning. From number one straight, they've had Volkanovski on top. This fight is now over and concluded. The results are in. And they still have Volkanovski in the one spot on top. Alright, so Gaethje is ranked number three, Fitzayev is ranked number six. Gaethje and Fitzayev are going to be fighting like two pay-per-views from now. Call it two F two, uh, UFC 286. So, but stay with me. I know there's some stuff jumping around. I follow the rankings closer than some people do. And they had a personable meaning for me and just that I was here when the rankings came along. The rankings have not always been with us. In 2012 is when they got introduced. Now, I was in the room at Fox when this announcement was made and we were informed that we would then go on to studio and inform all of you about this new ranking system. And it was explained to us for what it is. Controversy. There was nothing that was going to create controversy to create conversation more than this, and it's the one thing that we didn't have other sports did, we're going to bring in a ranking system. Now, I personally liked that because I understood it, and I understood it from the standpoint of the honesty that it was revealed to me. And I want to come and I want to give you guys rankings. But instead of getting back and forth and bitter and hearing your little nasty tones, I want to tell you the entire premise is to create a back and forth about the fighters on the top and who should be where. So when you understand it from that perspective, I think you do look at it a little different. Now, on a personal note, I was the first fighter to ever be ranked in two weight classes simultaneously. I was number four at 185 pounds, and I was number seven at 205 pounds. So I had two different spots, and I was in a top ten, and that enraged people. It enraged them. How? Make him choose one. Why should he be the one? And there was a period of my career where things that were only happening were happening to me. That if you were to copy and go do what I did, you might even be released from the company. But for me, some reason, make more money doing it. It was one of these weird points. So they had me in the same spot and then they got challenged. People didn't want that. And the rankings committee, and at that time, they did come out and they did come with a response and it had something to do it's 11 years ago now, but it, it did have something to do. And they kept me simultaneous. They kept me in those two spots and they didn't put anybody else in there, but it had something to do with as long as I had competed in this weight class within the last 12 months, I was eligible to remain ranked in that weight class. I don't know that they've ever changed that rule. I've not heard of it being changed. But when I saw the rankings today, when I saw that Gaethje was ranked number three at 155 pounds, when I saw that Fitzayev was ranked number six at 155 pounds, I thought to myself, that sounds right. Those guys are both really good. Those guys are both top guys. There's a reason they're fighting in a co-main event spot of a pay-per-view. It could mean one number one contendership by the time that match rolls around. It's a big deal. Where's Volkanovski? 
Like, that was the one part I couldn't get. I got Gaethje at two. I got Fedzaev at six. I get that we're matching them in March, right before we can test Leon and Usman for the third time. I understood the whole thing. Where is Volkanovsky? And I take my eyes off that section of the page, and I go to a different section called Featherweight, and I saw that he was at number one. Now, that would make sense that he's not number one, considering he's the champion, considering he's undefeated there and nobody's beaten him. That would make a lot of sense. Why was he not ranked at the weight class that he just competed in? What made him uneligible for ranking? What disqualified him from being considered? I can only go back to you, my own situation in 2012. And nothing kept me from doing it as long as I had competed there once in the last 12 months. See, I, th I like that rule. I like that rule because if we have a guy who's hurt, something like that, we should have him out of the rankings. Francis Ngannou has not competed for a year. He should not be ranked. I mean, just so that you understand that. You're either tough enough to go out there and try or you're not tough enough to even go out there and try. We can take you out of the rankings. So it's pretty straightforward. It's pretty simple as to why it did happen to me. It should we, we should take that same logic and apply it to other guys that if they don't fight within a calendar year, they become an ineligible for rankings, but we should also take a look at Volkanovski, who just beat your champion, according to many. And even if you want to just show respect to the outcome of the fight and not have any kind of sour grapes, it would still put it at number two, I think. Not knowing whether to put him at one or number two, not knowing if we should put him at three or four, knowing he belongs there, but one way of solving this is we just don't put him there at all. We move on, and then we hope a guy like Chael doesn't notice. So let's stay on this. Let's stay on the idea of Volkanovski and Islam having a rematch. How are you going to get it done? How are you going to get there? Are we going to tag on countless forms of social media? Dana White. Are we going to ask? Are we going to hope? Are we going to beg? Are we going to go to our favorite pundits and talking heads within the sport that we've built a relationship with and ask them what it would take to get the ask and get the narrative, get it go to Dana White, because that's what you'd usually do. That's exactly what you would usually do. Or we could look at how this was already done. Volkanovski demanded to be a backup fighter. Got to the event. Got an agreement for backup fighter. Actually got to a scale with his paperwork done. And then he got a ticket in the very front row, and he sat in that ticket. And eventually, somehow, he got into the ring. And I watched till that happened five times, but it's been five months ago. Didn't Islam say, get him out here? Where's this short guy? Get him in here? I mean, it was something pretty loose to interpret. It, it wasn't as though this was scripted and at the end of the night and they were going to do it. It was something very organic that whoever's job it is to make sure nobody gets in the ring, let this little guy over, let him up the stairs, and all of a sudden they're face to face. Is that what we're going to have to do again? Or do, can we meet somewhere in the middle? I mean, what would the middle look like? Volkanovski has come out today. He said, hey, man, I won three of those rounds. He said, I not only won three of those rounds, I was in a position to finish at the end of the fight. You could have scored my domination 10-8. Now, this is just a guy talking, but this is how he sees it. The last thought and the last memory that you had was being in the last position anybody ever told you you'd have to worry about, but you did have to worry about it. You were there with me. You looked tired. I was standing over the top, and I was raining down shots to your body and to your ribs. Do you disagree with any of this? The rankings committee, as the final say in this matter, 
has trumped the decision of the commission who was on hand during this fight in Arizona. Australia, right? What do you want to do with that? If you're Islam, what do you want to do with that? Okay, great, let's rematch. Well, maybe, but I'm talking about now. I'm not talking about maybe down the road. I'm talking about now. Let's rematch now. This is not over. This isn't over with me. And a matter of fact, Islam, I hear you're not very happy. I hear that you don't like to be questioned. I'm told that you don't really care who opponents are. Your coach, Javier Mendez, already went out on your behalf publicly and said we would do the fight again. And now there's even people from my team that are claiming that you cheated through an IV and got away with it. But the person who administered it is a nurse, and we've got her, and she's right there, and she's saying that she helped you cheat. Let's do a rematch. Let's do it right now. It seems to me as though those guys would be rematched because not the things that I just said or the case that I laid out because that's just so hot. I think the, I think those guys should rematch because there's no one else for them to fight. What, what other idea do you have? Charles Oliveira was put in the front row. Now, Charles Oliveira couldn't say anything to save his life. He wouldn't know how to order popcorn. He wouldn't know how to, how, how to get a taxi. So you brought him somewhere where you know he's not going to fight. Okay, great. We'll put him on cameo. Maybe we'll get an interview from him later. They didn't do any of those things. Why was Charles there? It would only be a guess. Why was Charles there? Well, because Charles is in line. He's in line to probably take on the winner. Okay, great. They did absolutely nothing with that. So we didn't need Charles. You already said you didn't really want Charles, but you got Charles, and now we know we don't need him. I then bring that up to Hans, and I come and tell you guys, if it's anyone other than Benny DeRouche, I will have a hard time selling that to my audience. Hans tells me it's going to be Benny versus Oliveira that that's done. Those two are fighting. Now, that could be true. The, only Benny and Oliveira could have a fight agreed on, and the fight announcement took place, and a fight that's coming up in a venue and a date that should be, and I wouldn't know. They're the only two guys. They would whisper it somewhere and do their best to make sure nobody heard. So if Hans is correct, and Benny and Oliveira are in fact fighting next, it would still come back to what I'm asking you of what better idea do you have than having Volkanovski versus Makhachev. You guys are not dying to see Volkanovski versus Rodriguez. You had a chance to see Volkanovski versus Rodriguez. Everybody said they'd like to see the fight except for Rodriguez. What changes now? So we're going to take Volk, we're going to pull him down here to do something that you guys have been very clear that you don't want to see him do. And then what are we going to do with Islam now? There's lots of good opponents, but apparently Oliveira and apparently Benny Darouge are not on that list. So where do you go? Where do you turn? How do you go get the match made? Now let's say that you're Volkanovski, and Volkanovski doesn't really know how to get these things done. He's set out a couple of times, and he's got it done, but he's not a master of getting it done. He's going to have to make a whole bunch of phone calls, get a whole bunch of yeses. He's going to have to get a whole bunch of things lined up. Then sit back, cross his fingers, and see what happens. If he was good at this, he would have already given up the 45-pound belt. He would have entered the 55-pound division. You see, that's a very different question. If I come to 55, can I fight for your championship? That is a very different question. To I am no longer a featherweight. I will never be a featherweight again. I am a 55. 
So we either fight for the belt because I qualify and deserve to be there, or we don't. We fight somewhere else. Who's that? If you're Volkanovski, you're looking around. You're going, do, do I have Oliveira? Do I have Darush? Do I have Gamrot? Do I have the winner or the loser of Gaethje and Chandler? Like, what, what do I go and do? And you would see where that would be very different. You would see where, hey, if you wanted to float up and be at 55, eh, you know, I can think of a few scenarios where maybe you could get a championship belt. No, you didn't hear me right. I'm not floating to 55. I am now at 55. You have a responsibility to put me in there with somebody who you believe can defend themselves at all time. You've seen guys not be able to do that. You've seen your own champion barely able to do that. So who are you going to put me with? Do I go down with the number six guy, the number four guy? Who do I go with now that I am in the division? It's a completely different question than being given the, the opportunity to try, try, and if you don't try again and you fail, you fall back down to your softness. The only thing that cost Volk from being the world champion, the only thing is he did not have to win it. There was no urgency. There was a 45-pound opportunity waiting for him. It was a, in a main event. It was for a world championship because he was going to bring it. It was for the participation points because he qualified for him. He never went all in. And if Volk is to go all in, he needs to show us that first. Which is him stepping away, vacating, and never returning to 145 pounds. What is better than watching the NBA action? Being a part of it with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You can tap into all the excitement with the click of a button. New customers can place $5 on any pregame money line bet, and they're gonna get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at even bigger payouts with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays. Boost your NBA winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. The Bucks and the Suns are going to play on Sunday. Where do you fit Kevin Durant into that situation? Guys, go download the app right now. Sign up with the promo code CHAIL. New customers can place $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Download the app now and sign up with code CHAIL. New customers can place $5 on any pregame Moneyline bet and get $150 in bonus bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHAIL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. John Jones and Surreal gone, what do we expect? What do we expect here, guys? Let me tell you how I feel about the fight. And just let me know if you can relate. Okay. John Jones is going to whip him. The, the end. I, I mean, basically, I get up and I leave there. Okay, but what part am I curious about? What do I mean John Jones is going to whip him? Do I believe that John Jones can finish him? Do I believe that John Jones can outstrike him? John Jones seems to have a trick that we will see every single fight. He seems to have a move that we will see in every single John Jones fight that he usually even does at the beginning of the fight that nobody's ever seen before. There's a rule in fighting that if, if you go ahead and throw kicks, but you finish with a kick. Okay, so you'll start your combination with your hands. If, you, if you're going to do a kick, you will do it last. You will do it at the end of the combination. 
I've seen John Jones start a fight before, walk out there where most guys will reach up and they'll, they'll touch gloves. John will walk out there and kick you right in the head. I mean, I've seen that. I've seen John Jones start fights with flying knees. I saw John Jones in a stand-up position do, do like this arm lock to Glover Teixeira that changed Glover for the course of the evening. They were on their feet, and he hooks his arm. Do you guys remember that one? He turned his bicep, and I mean, the Glover couldn't even use the other hand and punch him. He had to come down here and engage. It was just one of these goofy things. But it was also to be expected from a John Jones fight, something new, a nuance, something that's really hard to prepare for, something to keep the opponent guessing no matter, no matter how much footage and tape the opponent and his coach and his strategists have sat down and watched leading into the event. So when I say that I think John Jones is going to go run over him, what do I mean? We have Surreal Gone, who just got out-wrestled two fights ago by a guy who never had a wrestling match. And we have John Jones, who won a national collegiate championship. Those are hard details to get around. Now, I could take you back to Saturday. You had Islam Makhlchev, who is from the deepest most respected region on earth for wrestling, Dagestan. Take on a guy who never had a wrestling match in Volkanovski. And it's really hard to ever get around that. You'd have a really hard time looking through history and getting around that. But I think if we went back to Saturday, we can also see there's a little bit of room for air in that. There's a lot of things that can be made up and, and, and turned over in the practice room where you don't have to have a singlet. You don't have to grow up at the... Pee-wee tournaments coming up through the cadets, the juniors, hoping to get a college scholarship. I and mean, we are seeing where that starts to change. And I'll tell you this. They love to say that the last thing to go is your power. I personally do not agree with any of that. That is just an expression that has been around our sport and it's been here for enough decades and generations that we let it, we let it in. The power is the last thing to go. But I will tell you what. The takedown is the first thing to go. If you are not fighting and you are not active and you are not busy, no matter how good you did in your youth at wrestling, the first thing that you will lose is your ability to wrestle. And John Jones was wrestling less and less as his career was winding down. John Jones, when he had his back against the wall, and he had to dig and he had to find that special tool, when he was really in trouble, started to turn to kickboxing. That special tool was becoming elbows and knees. It was becoming lefts and rights more often than it was single legs, double legs, slide bys, and duck unders. And I think one of the great skills of John Jones is his ability to know when it's time to win. Urgency. I have not seen that from Surreal Gone in a number of his fights. And I've seen Surreal look good at times. I mean, a lot of you are saying he, he's one and one in his last two. What's he even doing in a world title fight? I understand that. But there is times within Surreal's career where it's been very close and all he needs to do is put his foot on the gas. And he hasn't been able to do that. He lacks that urgency. So when you're fighting with a John Jones and we start to break down, what is this going to look like? So often and so many times, and it's a little bit early on, we keep on talking about the great wrestling of John Jones, the non-wrestling of Surreal, the great stand-up of Surreal, and the lack of stand-up by John Jones. I just don't know if that's accurate. 
I mean, that feels lazy to me. It's not a kickboxing match. John does very well with stand-up fighting. It's not a grappling match. The last thing to go might be your power, but the first thing to go is going to be your wrestling. Surreal's not a master of taking people down. But John hasn't been looking for the takedowns. I mean, I, I just feel as though this really does counter itself out a lot. A lot of the arguments you make, an opposite argument could also be made. This is going to be a fun match. Surreal must, absolutely must, take control of this match in the opening frame. The first person to touch the other person is going to win this fight. If John Jones, like he always does, comes out and kicks you in the mouth, comes through the air, jumps up and knees you in the head. If John Jones goes first, he will put you on the defense no matter who you are, and you will defend for the duration of that fight. If you go out and you put him on the defense, you take control of the dance. The one thing that everybody is scared to do because they respect John so much. But there's not a third option, guys. You're either leading or you're following. That's it. These aren't Chael's rules. These are the fight rules. It's action or it's reaction. You have to choose. Everybody has always stood around and waited on John. Whenever there's an urgency, John feels it. Whenever there's a time to get tough and hang on to a championship, John always wants it a little bit more than his opponent. I don't think this is about striker versus grappler. I really don't. If your power is the last thing to go, the takedown is the first thing to go, and these two are a lot more even than you might think. So, Pierre and Adesanya is gonna happen again. Now, I wanna be helpful here. That was such a massive first fight. I want to be helpful. Why are these guys fighting? Why are they fighting? The first, the first time they fought Madison Square Garden, the Mecca, nobody had gone from, from unknown to the organization to a main event to a world title fight faster than Piera. Oh, then you find out the backstory that Piera and Adesanya had crossed paths not once but twice before. You get the added bonus, right? Who even knows this if it's true, but it gets thrown into the story that Adesanya left kickboxing just to get away from Piera, that Piera left kickboxing just to chase after Adesanya. It feels like the truth is in there somewhere. And this is a real treat. Two strikers, not a wrestling match between the two of them. I can't remember a main event for a world championship in the modern era where that ever happened. I can't remember. There might be a time out there. Don't think you have to correct me. I'm, what I'm sharing for you is there is a walk of our society. There is a stand-up, an elbow, knee, a punch, a kick group of our society that had to be very excited for this moment to come. And the moment came and the fight delivered. Absolutely incredible moments. From Izzy going out and showing, not for nothing, he understood fighting better. He understood, he, I am the better fighter. I can touch you, kick you, and get out of the way more times than you could touch and get out of the way of me doing it back. Got a little wrestling exchanges in there. Pierre, boy, he looked like he got a great takedown, wonderful hips. Izzy comes out on top, scrambles back to their feet, on and on they go, going into the fifth round, the fifth and final round. Pierre makes it perfectly clear of his understanding and his opinion of time and space by looking to his cornerman, Glover Teixeira, and saying, this is the fifth round, isn't it? I have to stop him, don't I? Okay, I'm going to knock him out. It was, it was chilling. In retrospect, that was a chilling moment because no athlete 
has a command of his senses going into the fifth round. You are absolutely exhausted. In a fifth round, it would not matter how good the advice you're being given is. There's nothing you can do with it. And moreover, going into a fifth round, you've never seen a conversation. That was what was more impressive than anything, the fact that they had a conversation. It'd be one thing for an athlete to be looking, just sitting there and looking at him, thinking, why aren't you pouring water down my throat? But in the meanwhile, I'll just look at you, guy's mouth moving. It's completely different to have Pierre having a conversation, leading it in many ways. Laying out where it is that they are in time and space and what needs to be done to maximize the potential of an opportunity to win this fight. It was shocking that he then got up and went and did it. Okay, that's amazing. Everything that I just said is amazing. As soon as this fight is done, Israel Adesanya does not call out Piera. When this fight is done, Piera does not call out Israel Adesanya. Now, nor should he. He's the champion, but he did do a media tour. As a matter of fact, he went to our good friend Errol Hawani's desk. And Piera told our good friend Errol Hawani that he is willing to go up to 205 pounds. It would not be a title fight, but he will take on Hazmat Shemaev. And all of a sudden, I mean, our, our minds are blown. What? What are you talking about? Here you are sitting with Ariel. Here you are on a, on a victory lap. Here you are. You just sold out Madison Square Garden. Whatever has, whatever message is coming out of Piera's mouth, this is a big deal and we're going to want to hear it. And we did hear it. We were in a couple of different ways, but it had nothing, and I do mean nothing, to do with Israel Adesanya. Adesanya then got asked about it. Now, this is another master on the mic. A lot of interesting things going on in Adesanya's life. But trying to reclaim a championship, having, having, wanting a fourth match with a gentleman who the outcome the first three times went against him. I mean, we're, we're going to hear some fun stuff. We're going to hear what was different. We're going to hear what he learned. We're going to hear how bad this one eats away at him. We're going to hear what he should have done different in the last round that he didn't do in the first rounds. Right, wrong, well, we didn't. We didn't hear any of it. It was crickets. It became so quiet and there were such crickets between Piera and Adesanya that we, the community, we finally elected ourselves the mayor of Get the Hintville and started to move these guys in different directions. All of a sudden, yeah, you know, going up to 205 at Chemayev, it's, it's a little weird, but uh, I guess we could look at something like that. Okay, getting getting out of Sonia, moving him over here. Okay, uh, you know, we don't know if Paula Costa's going to resign, but we got Robert Whitaker. That'd be a good guy for 185. We started to go in different directions, keeping these guys apart because they weren't finding their way to each other. One day we wake up and it's announced they're going to do it again. Okay, lots of things are done that way. There is a number of fights that are made. There's a period of time, there's a period of time where we get to weigh in. Where you get to go to your social media accounts and start tagging and starting to create a fight and see how many people like that. How many engagements you can get. How long you can keep that a top thread on the forum at the underground. There's a time when everybody gets to share their opinion. And then the day comes when we get the announcement of what has been chosen. It is very rare for two stars like this, two stars that are big enough that they sold out Madison Square Garden. It's very rare. Stars of that ability, there's no conversation. There was never an idea. There was never a suggestion. And then we just land on rematch. Why? I mean, why are we here and what are we doing it for? For the world championship? Is that where we're putting them? Okay, got it. Are we really going to prove who the best in the world is, though, with this fight? 
Because that's what we were told the first time that they fought, and we know that one got a little weird, so we rematched, and then things got real weird, and we even changed the sport, made it under the unified rules, got the same out. We've got the same outcome three times. So what do we expect to get the fourth? And by the way, if we get the same outcome, which is Piera, I'm already convinced. I watched the first three fights. I know who the better fighter is. It's Adesanya. I watched Adesanya prove he was a better fighter, not once, not twice, but three times. That's what I saw. So what happens if Piera beats him again? There was no talk and there was no dialogue that's led us to this fight. Just Let's just imagine that it's just rinse and repeat. Same, same. Everything's done again. There's no talk that would lead them to the fifth fight. So what do we do with them? Do we leave Adesanya in the weight class? Do we let him be a gatekeeper? Do we let him float around? We still like to watch him fight. We still like his style, and that's the kind of guy he is. Or do we move him up or down a weight class and now put him on a path to a championship? Do we do the opposite? Do we leave Izzy right where he is and take Pierre and move him to 205 pounds, which is inevitable anyway? There is no scenario, at least if you ask Pierre himself, there is no scenario where Piera stays at 185 or wants to be at 185. Now, he's just getting new to the making money side of this. He's just getting new to the exposure and the fun, fun side of this. So he's not getting ready to retire anytime soon. He's just going to leave the weight class. So why are these guys fighting? You guys didn't demand this fight. They didn't demand the fight. Why are they fighting? And what does happen? I, I'd just like to know. I mean, where do we go from here? If Adesanya is to beat Piera, and Piera says, hey, that's rubbish, let's do it again, don't we have to? I mean, don't we have to, just out of respect, show the guy the same courtesy that he's already shown you, not once, not twice, but three times, which is soon to be four times? Don't you have to? And at some point, what about the fans? You're not just showing us the respect, you're not just showing us help by putting the two best guys in there? You're telling us that, that you don't accept the outcome. And therefore, we're going to have a chance to adjudicate the outcome again till it comes to one that's more favorable that we wanted to happen. These guys not only have been announced that they're fighting, guys, they're fighting soon. They're fighting in April. They're fighting for a world championship. They're fighting a main event. They're fighting for a whole bunch of money. But at some point, everything's got to be in. Sometimes a competition's worth watching. Sometimes a sport that you love and it's Saturday night. Sometimes. But when every time that that happens and the outcome that surprises you happens and so you just try to whitewash it and redo it, what are we all here for? At some point, the guys got to burn their boats. They got to push all the chips in. They got to say, this is the final time. Like it or not. New weight class, new era, new rules. This right here for everything. Or what's the point? So, Bo Nickel, you know, this is a name, this was hot. Bo coming out of the gate was so hard and so fast. Dana White Contender Series. Does everything he's supposed to do on that meeting. He wins the fight, but he also finishes the fight in convincing fashion. Instead of telling him, no, you're not what we're looking for. Or, here's a contract, welcome to the UFC. 
Instead of doing either one of those, they said, you know what? Let's just do this same thing again. We haven't seen enough to push you to the side or to bring you over to the club. We're going to do one more match. And it was a little bit of a surprise. People had never seen this. It hadn't been done this way before. And now all of a sudden, Bo's one more match is a featured match and it's a main event. All of a sudden, it's the first ever sought-after main event in the history of a Contender Series, at least for me. When I would watch Contender Series, the main event would just be whatever fight was last. This was different. And Bo gets out there and he does it again. Adds a little striking, goes to the takedown, comes into a submission. All of a sudden you go, wow, this guy's pretty impressive. What do we do with him? They book him on a card. Bo ends up getting hurt. Now, this was for the December 10th pay-per-view. The same one where you saw the draw between Uncle Liev <clears throat> versus Blahovich. Just to put a frame of reference in your head. So now here we are, and we're Bo's going to be coming up. He's going to be on the March 4th card. Part of John Jones, part of Surreal Gone, and he's back and he's doing some media. Now, I read the media, and I came away with uh, three takeaways. First off, he said, I like the slow approach. He said he kind of wanted to do what Sean O'Malley did in terms of the slow approach with a steady incline in competition. And he went as far as to say he'd like to be not only the world champion, but the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, but he would not like to face Robert Whitaker with only six fights. So Bo was talking about himself, saying, I've only got six fights. I don't want to just fight anybody. I'm not ready for just anybody. My goals are of such. I am working towards. But as of right now, I don't want in there with just anybody. As a matter of fact, somebody like Robert Whitaker. Huge compliment from Bo. It was a really big compliment, and I was almost surprised that he gave it. But I see it the same way. When I see 85-pounders, I do believe there's ways that Bo is world champion today. Right now, today, if it was a bracketed format, who beat who and who he would have in the finals, I think Adesanya is a good matchup for him. I think Alex Pierre is a good matchup for him. Now, that's not rocket science. I'm looking at a really good wrestler against non-wrestlers, right? I mean, that's one of the most basic premises we came up with in 1993. I do see what Bo means when he talks about Robert Whitaker. And not enough guys talk of Whitaker that way. Like, Whitaker doesn't get enough credit in the pound-for-pound lists. Whitaker could be number three in a division, but he could also be number three pound-for-pound. I don't think we have as good of an anti-wrestler anywhere in the sport as you do in Robert Whitaker. And you know who used to have that? You, you, you want to know who that throne used to belong to? Is Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo was as good at stopping people from taking him down as George St. Pierre was at going out and taking people down. And I've got to give that to Whitaker. Whitaker's fights with Yoel Romero, both of them. The first five rounds and the next five rounds. They've stayed with me all this time just because of how good his hips were. I will coach kids in wrestling. I will explain to them what a side wizard is. I will tell them if they go get a book, go get the rule book to wrestling. There is no takedown in the rules as long as you have a side wizard. The opponent must get you to take your side wizard out or you must give up on your side wizard. It's so important. And I'm watching Robert Whitaker with no wrestling experience over an Olympic silver medalist doing nothing other than controlling his hips and keeping a side wizard. And now here we are all these years later, one of the most coveted wrestling prospects, that of Bo Nickel, is paying homage to the defense and the abilities of Whitaker. I appreciated it. And that's the one guy 
If I was steering Bo's career, oh, we'll take on anybody. We'll take on Pierre right now. We'll take on Adesanya right now. Bring us Darren Till right now. I, mean, right, I, I go up and down the roster, banging my chest, except for Whitaker. That is the guy. That is the guy that you would want to stay away from. And I don't bring that to you for any other reason. I just thought it was a nice compliment from Bo. And I don't hear, I don't hear Whitaker get a lot of compliments. I think a lot of guys see Whitaker the way that Bo sees him. And they realize that that just doesn't draw. So why not just stay on his good side? That's what I see. I believe the night when Whitaker got asked to Chemayev, Chemayev who had called out everybody, chopping, swinging a sword around at everybody, and said, as opposed to facing Whitaker, that he would like to train with Whitaker. I think those are very big compliments. I think there's something there that people are seeing. But at some point, you're going to have to deal with him. What do you do? What do you do when you have a guy who you say you're not ready for, but that guy isn't the champion. You would like to be the champion, but you admit you can't go through number three. You say you can beat everybody in the world, but you openly admit, I've got a problem with the guy that's down here. What do you do? Let a little time go by? Reassess, come with a different opinion, wait till somebody else beats him? Very common thing to do in this sport. Stay the heck away from a guy, hope that somebody else gets him, knocks him off, you never have to deal with him. But it was a nice thing for Bo to say. And I think wherever you're going to go at 185, I think it has to go through Robert Whitaker. That's what I think. I think Robert Whitaker at 185 is very similar to Colby Covington at 170. Hard to get a title match, right? And I realize that Adesanya's been beat, but I think that you understand my point. Even when Adesanya was defending against other guys, even Jared Cannonier. Even Pierre in the night that he lost, Whitaker was still the rightful number one contender. He just couldn't get that opportunity. And we couldn't even complain and get that opportunity for him because he'd already been given it a couple of times before. So it's, it's a very precarious spot. And I've been banging the drum for a while for Robert Whitaker to leave the division. Go become a 205-pounder. Drop back down to where you came from of 170. You'll walk right into world title fights. You get that boogie monster that you got to deal with out of the way. I've been a real advocate for that, but nobody seems to agree with me. At least nobody named Robert Whitaker. They want to stay right there at 85. And he's in a really interesting spot. When he has guys like up-and-comers like Bo Nickel coming out and paying homage to him, I hope it means something to him. And if Piera gets the jump on Adesanya, Piera's got to have something to do next. Robert Whitaker seems like a pretty good option. I was reading something very interesting this morning. It had to do with a coach's take on Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler. And it was a very astute breakdown. I mean, it talked about the wrestling prowess of Chandler. It talked about Conor being a southpaw and how well he strikes. It even made a comparison of an opponent that Conor's already had in Chad Mendes. Almost as though this was Chad Mendes versus Conor McGregor part two. Let me stop you right there. Do any of you guys see this that way? Do any of you guys care to sit around a water cooler and discuss with the boys about the time McGregor fought Mendes because Mendes used to be a wrestler and Conor wasn't? And even though that was years ago and they were in a different weight class, but this is kind of, what are, what are you talking about? 
Where did this comparison come from? And it wasn't done by a dumb guy. By the way, I'm just asking, do any of you share that? Do any of you feel that? Do any of you at all, even in the slightest, care about the X's and O's of Conor McGregor versus Michael Chandler? These two guys right now are fighting for nothing. These two are openly fighting for your money. These two have not agreed upon a weight class. Are you aware of that? When this was announced, it was 170 pounds. That got fixed, and that got corrected to 155 pounds, which got stepped on again by the participants themselves. So we have two guys that are fighting, and they believe it's 170 pounds. The person putting the fight on says that it's 155 pounds. All of us don't really care, but it does matter that you guys have had this talk and that you guys at least know what the weight class is. And as far as breaking down the mere fact that Michael Chandler had NCAA experience and comparing that to Chad Mendes, who had NCAA experiment, who was 10 years ago at 145 pounds and brought in on short notice, what comparison are you possibly talking about? Why are you possibly making that comparison? And about what? What are you saying? Chad Mendes came out and threw Conor McGregor down like he was a sack of potatoes. Connor scrambled and got back up to his feet and Chad took him down and dumped him there like a sack of potatoes again. So are you saying that that is what Mendes is going to do? I mean, what comparison are you giving here? Are you arguing that Michael Chandler can't hold up through the duration of the building? Are you arguing that Michael Chandler is open to teeth kicks specifically to the body, specifically with your left foot? Because that's exactly what happened in that fight. Are you arguing that the weight cut is not something that will be too detrimental that he can make up for the night before? Because we don't even know what weight class they're fighting about. They got no championship on the line here, not even an interim championship. We're not even told that this is a top contenders match. We're told that this is a match for our money at a weight class, which apparently has yet to be disclosed. And I'm just wondering if you guys agree with that, because I am excited for it. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's the right match to make. Why are we giving an X's and O's? What difference does it make? What difference does it make if Chandler can take Conor McGregor down? What difference does it make if Conler worked on his takedown defense in the rooms and could defend it and stay on his feet? What difference does it make if the power of the Southpaw McGregor lands on Ch I mean, what are we talking about? Why are these two fighting? Do you guys feel that way? Because I feel like there's so many interesting things about this. The fact that Conor McGregor can return, that's impressive. The last time I saw Conor in the octagon, he was broken in half sitting down, cutting an interview with Joe Rogan. He does not need to fight. The fact that he wants to, that he's willing to come in and do this, to repair his body, to train his mind, and to go in there with all this time off against somebody as dangerous as Michael Chandler. For up to 25 minutes, the hardest thing that any athlete in any sport can ever be asked to do is unarmed combat for five rounds. There is no sport anywhere that is more difficult. And Connor is volunteering to do that against one of the best guys in the world at a weight class that apparently they haven't quite flipped a coin and sold in on yet. That is what's interesting about this fight. Am I wrong? That is what's interesting about the heart and the soul of this fight. Am I wrong? They're going to come to the ultimate fighter which is the documentation 
of the toughest tournament in all of sports, not to mention the best training camp that an unarmed combatant can have, and we're going to witness it all. That's what this is about. Am I wrong? Because things do start to get real weird at some point. When a guy is 37 years old, and you're talking to him, or you're talking about him, or you're dealing with him, the same as you did when you met him at 17 years old, or even partway through his career at 27 years old, it starts to get weird. So if you're training Conor McGregor, who was just broken in half, first thing, you got to pick a weight class. Second, let's use the ultimate fighter for what it is, which is a training camp. Let's see that you're doing the training. Let's see that you want to do it. Prove to us you still got the eye of the tiger. We're going to bring a camera and we're going to document the whole thing. That in and of itself is something interesting. Making a comparison to a down-the-road fight at a weight class that nobody can seem to determine on a date that is yet to be picked and seeing a distinction between Division I wrestling from the University of Missouri that Michael Chandler has in his past and Cal Poly wrestling experience that Chad Mendez once had and putting Connor in the middle of them and saying he can do it. It's just quite enough. And it's just not what this match is about. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And hey, the UFC is back in Las Vegas this weekend as Jessica Andrade is going to be taking on Aaron Blanchfield. That's going to be an exciting main event on Saturday. Enjoy the fights, guys. Enjoy the weekend, and make sure you come back here on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.